0: Well, good evening, church. Uh, So excited to be here this evening. And so let's jump in. And so please open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 21. Uh, So Daniel 1, verses 8 to 21. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, please lift up your hand nice and high. Our ushers are coming forward and they would love to put a copy of God's Word in your hands. And uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, uh, please keep this Bible so that you can take it home with you, uh, so that you can take it home with you and be in the Word throughout the week. Um, And so this evening, our passage will be found on pages 429 and 430 of those Blue Bibles. And as you're turning to uh, the passage this evening, here's a question that I have for you this evening, for us this evening. And it's this, Have you ever been pressured to affirm something or do something that goes against your conscience or your beliefs? Let me ask that question again. Have you ever been pressured to affirm something or do something that goes against your conscience or your beliefs? Let me give you a few examples. Affirming the randomness of creation, thereby denying the one who created it society as we see they claim this the earth as we know it just happened by chance we we exist by mere coincidence right this is all random here's another one have you ever been pressured or pressured into lying or stealing let's be honest here we're in church have you ever been pressured into affirming gender as a choice thereby denying being created in the image of God as male and female only? Have you ever been pressured into elevating a person's right to choose life or death? These are just a few examples that you and I may face. Do you, do you sense the growing pressure from society around us to get on board with, our belief, with their beliefs, their ideologies, their views, and their policies, right? The growing pressure to conform. Do you guys sense that pressure to compromise on your beliefs, convictions, and commitments to the Lord or run the risk of being ridiculed, mocked, humiliated, excluded, or maybe even persecuted, Do you sense that growing pressure? Here's the problem that you and I are faced with. We often compromise on our beliefs and our convictions and aren't faithful to the Lord. That's the problem that you and I are faced with. We stay silent about what we believe We compromise out of a lack of trust in the Lord in the moment, out of a fear of man, a fear of being left out, a fear of standing out as different, a fear of being mocked, ridiculed, humiliated, or maybe even persecuted. And loved ones, here's the truth that we need to see. We need to understand this truth. We live in a world that has become and is increasingly becoming More and more anti God and anti Christian. Opposition to the Word of God and opposition to God Himself is increasingly growing. The Word of God isn't popular these days, it's not popular. It is increasingly out of season. And the challenge that you and I are faced with in those moments is is this how will we respond in those moments? Who will we seek to please? Will we compromise on our convictions and our beliefs? Or will we trust and remain faithful to the Lord by standing firmly on His word in the face of growing opposition by His power and for His glory? Here is our big idea for this evening. I want to encourage you guys to write this down. Because God is sovereign and faithful, we must trust in him. Because God is sovereign and faithful, we must trust in him. Right? Because God is in control of all human affairs, there is nothing that is outside of his control. And because he is faithful, we must trust in him through any and all circumstances and opposition that may come our way. And here in our text this evening, uh, we will see one distinguishing mark of the person who trusts in the Lord and the blessing that results from one's trust in the Lord. And so in order to honor the authority of God's word, I would invite you to stand as we read Scripture together. And so we're going to stand and we're going to read verses 8 to 13 uh, to start. And so Daniel's faithfulness, verse 8, let's go. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see fit. Hear the word of the Lord, church. You may be seated. You may be seated. And so, right here in our text, we see a life. We see that a life that trusts in the Lord resolves. It resolves to follow Him. And the first and the question that we are confronted with here in these first six verses is this: a life that trusts in the Lord is resolved to follow Him, no matter the cost. Question, loved ones, are you resolved? Are you resolved? Let's, let's get our context. Much of the context of our passage is found in the first, open, in the first seven verses of the opening uh, chapter of chapter 1. And So it's about 605 BC uh, and it's the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. And so what has happened at this point now is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has come to Jerusalem and he besieged it. We see that in verse 1. And so what happened to Judah and Jerusalem was a consequence of Judah's actions in forsaking the Lord and turning away from the Lord, just as Jeremiah had predicted would happen in Jeremiah 25. And so Nebuchadnezzar brought some people of Israel back to Babylon. And as we see in verses 3 and 4, some of the people that he brought to Babylon were of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in wisdom endowed with knowledge understanding learning and and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And so Daniel and his friends are those youths without blemish described in verses 3 and 4. They were most likely in their early teens at this point when they were taken to Babylon. And so they were to be educated for three years' time before they stood in the presence of the king. That is, before they they went up before the king and served the king. And so throughout the training, Nebuchadnezzar assigned to them a portion of the food that he ate and the wine that he drank. And so the goal behind this was to convert these followers of the Lord into patriots of Babylon. Assimilation was the goal here. Right? They were to be immersed in Babylonian culture so much that they would be enticed to it, and that they would ultimately then embrace the culture around them. And Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, was the one in charge of this assimilation. Let's let me reread verses eight, the first part of verse eight. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And so despite the attempted assimilation here, Daniel takes a stand. He takes a stand. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. The word "resolved" there, it means this, to determine, to make up your mind. And so Daniel had determined, he had made up his mind, he had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And the word defile means this, to pollute, to desecrate, to stain. And so just like picture a white cloth. You're holding up a white cloth and somebody throws grape juice on that white cloth. Like that's the image here of staining. He didn't want to defile himself. Now you may be asking, well, what's so bad about the king's food for Daniel to associate defilement with it? Was it unclean? Remember? Pork was forbidden according to Jewish food laws. We see that in Leviticus 11 verse 7. Or maybe the blood wasn't drained properly from the meat. We see that in Genesis 9.4. Was it offered to idols before being sacrificed? Is that why Daniel had a problem with it? We We don't know exactly what the issue was with the king's food. Scripture isn't clear on that. But here's what we do know. Clearly, Daniel had an issue with the king's food, and his request to substitute the king's food with vegetables seems to suggest that the meat was the problem. That the problem is especially with the meat. You see, a major purpose of Israel's food laws was meant to separate Israel from the Gentiles in order to maintain Israel as a holy people separated to God. We see that in Leviticus 20 the very food laws that God gave to his people was what set them apart from the nations that surrounded them. Right? They were called to be set apart. They were to be distinct. And Daniel knew that to compromise, even in the area of a diet, was spiritually harmful. And so Daniel and his friends used their distinctive diet as a way of retaining their distinctive identity as Jewish exiles and avoiding complete assimilation into Babylonian culture, which was the king's goal. One commentator says it like this, With this restricted diet, they reminded themselves that they were the people of God in a foreign land and that they were dependent for their food, indeed for their very lives, upon God their creator and not King Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel wanted to stay faithful to the Lord. He was resolved to stay faithful to the Lord. And look at look at the second half of verse 8. He says, "Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself." As a result of his resolve, did you notice he's upfront and honest with the chief of the eunuchs. He's not he's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to lie his way out of it. He's honest and upfront. He's telling the reason why he's objecting to the king's prescribed diet. And let's continue reading verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I love that result. you notice that result? Like before we even get to Ashpenaz's response, we see God's sovereignty here. That's amazing. God's working behind the scenes here. God grants favor and compassion to Daniel as a result of his resolve. And the term favor there, it is a covenant term with a broad range of meaning, referring to the love, grace, favor, mercy, loyalty, faithfulness, or kindness shown to someone with whom one has a relationship with. And so the idea here that God grants favor to Daniel implies that Daniel was in good standing with God. And notice how God grants favor and compassion to Daniel. In verse 10, we see that uh, Ashpenaz was sympathetic to his request. He was sympathetic. He, He heard him out. He didn't have to. Right? He didn't report to Daniel. He was under no obligation to hear Daniel's objections. Ultimately, his his response shows that he was reluctant because of the possible repercussions that he faced if it turned out that they were in worse condition than the, the rest of the people that ate the king's food. And so he refused the request. And Ashpenaz ultimately was more fearful. He was more fearful of the king and the possible repercussions than anything else. But then in verse 11, let's, let's go to verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Just notice, notice Daniel's persistency there, right? He doesn't give up, right? He's been shot down once by Ashpenaz, he doesn't give up. He's, he's committed and resolved to stay faithful. He goes to a lesser official, right? He, he attempts to work with a lesser official who, who is much more sympathetic to his request, right? And he takes a different approach. He takes a different approach. He says, hey, he proposes an experiment. Let's read verses 12 to 13. Test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. I just love that. He doesn't give up, but rather he attempts to work with the lesser official and he proposes the experiment. And so, loved ones, just live in the text here. Live in this text. An attempted assimilation is happening to Daniel and his friends. They are being tempted and pressured to compromise and abandon their convictions, and follow the norms of society in which they find themselves in. Does that sound familiar today? Does this, does this not reflect the day and age in which we live in today? The redefining of, of what right and wrong are. The, the redefining of what marriage is. The, the redefining of gender identity. The redefining of what constitutes life. The laws that are being passed today by elected officials at every level of government that are contrary to what the word of God says. or even what's being taught in the school systems today. Loved ones there's there's nothing new under the sun. What what Daniel faced then, we face today. It's probably packaged differently, but we're still pressured and, and we're we're still pressured and tempted to compromise on our convictions. You see, despite living in Babylon, Babylon would never be their home. Daniel and his friends would not let Babylon into them. It would not, they would not let Babylon get into them. They were resolved to be set apart, to be holy, right? They wanted to be distinct. And loved ones, as believers, here's the truth, we too will be pressured into conforming to the world's values. And just like Daniel and his friends, we need to remember that we too are called, we are called to be holy. Right? If you are saved in Jesus Christ, this is your calling. You are called to be holy. We see this in 1 Peter 1 verses 14 to 16. You'll see it on the screen. It says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's our calling right there. Believers are called to be holy, to be set apart. And notice how it's worded there at the end of verse 16. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Right? It's not optional for believers. The call to holiness isn't optional. We are called to be holy because that is consistent with God's character who is holy and has called us to himself. The call to holiness is a call to Christ-likeness. The more holy we become, the more Christ-like we become, and the more Christ-like we become, the more holy we become. And so loved ones, are you resolved to follow the Lord no matter the cost? No matter the cost. Even if it costs you, Your dream job, your career opportunity, advancement up the corporate ladder, if it costs you relationally, if it costs you relationally, or if it costs you financially, are you resolved to follow the Lord no matter the cost? Here's another one. Where are you not living with distinction and compromising? Where is that? In the home? In the workplace? At school? In your entertainment choices? What you scroll through on social media? the words that you speak or your actions? Where are you not living with distinction and compromising? Where, here's another one. Where is your resolve lacking? Where is your resolve lacking? Where are you defiling yourself? That's a hard question to ask. Where are you defiling yourself? And loved ones, I just want to encourage you right now. Like if if you're feeling convicted right now, like I just want to exhort you to bring that before the Lord, just to bring it before him and repent, right? There is. Remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's forgiveness, there's peace, but there's never any condemnation. You see, a life that trusts in the Lord is resolved to follow him no matter the cost. No matter the cost. And from this we see the result of a life that trusts in the Lord. He receives his blessing. He receives his blessing. And the question that we are faced with here in these last eight verses is this. God will honor those who honor him. Are you honoring him? Are you honoring the Lord? God will honor those who honor him. Are you honoring him? Let's continue reading verse 14. Let's look down at our Bibles. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And so the guard agrees with the experiment. Look at God's favor given to Daniel and his friends once again. The guard, again, this guard didn't have to listen to them. He was under no obligation to do that. But yet, notice God's sovereignty here. God honored these men, not because of what they ate, but because of their courage to honor and revere God the king of kings above king Nebuchadnezzar and so God honored and blessed them in four ways we see here firstly that he blessed them physically he blessed them physically let's read verses 15 to 16 at the end of 10 days it was seen that they were be- that they were better in flesh and fatter That they were better in appearance, excuse me, and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And so I have here a basket of vegetables. And So this is what they ate. This is what they ate for three years time. This is what they ate. Now, some of you may be looking at this basket and like, you guys are starting to get hungry. And some of you, some of you may be cringing at the idea of having to eat vegetables. Not just these vegetables, but like just vegetables for three years time. Right? But this is what they ate. This is what they ate for three years time. You know, one summer, Becky and I, we decided to sign up for um, a local, with a local farmer to receive vegetables as a basket, like a weekly basket of vegetables. Um, And that was, that was a really interesting experience that she and I went through. Uh, Within two to three weeks in, we were getting so many green vegetables that we, we didn't know what to do with them anymore. Like we, we ended up giving some to our family members because we were just getting too much. Like, I don't have anything against vegetables. Like, I'm not hating or trying to cancel vegetables out. But, like, it was was really interesting. Like, it was really interesting. We discovered a lot of vegetables that we actually enjoy now eating that we wouldn't have discovered had we not had the vegetable basket. But regardless, this is what they ate. This is what they ate. Now, let's be very clear here of what Scripture isn't saying here. Scripture isn't prescribing a diet, right? It's it's just not. Their success didn't come because of the vegetables that they ate, but the favor that they had with God. It's not about eating vegetables. It's not about having a vegetarian diet. And notice what the text says in verse 15. It says this, They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh compared to the other youths who ate the king's food. The term fatter and flesh there means that they were well-fed and healthy. They looked better and healthier than all the other youths. Like, the, the test was a resounding success for these young men. Not because of the food that they ate, but because of the Lord. And as a result of the success, the steward continued to give them the vegetable diet. See, because Daniel and his friends had honored God, God blessed them by giving them healthy bodies. And so God blessed them physically, but he also blessed them mentally. Let's look at the first half of verse 17. It says this, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Right? Right? God gave them understanding so that, if we look at verse 20, it says that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. Right? God blessed these men with his wisdom. It wasn't their own wisdom. It was God's wisdom. They were given the ability by God himself to see things in life from God's perspective and act accordingly, right? They gave the king wise counsel. And so they were blessed mentally. Thirdly, we see also here that they were blessed spiritually. Let's look at the... Let's look at the second half of verse 17. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now this blessing is specific to Daniel as we see here in the text. One pastor says it like this. God enabled Daniel to interpret dreams and to receive visions. Visions and dreams were both a means of revelation from God. The former occurring while awake and the latter while asleep. And so this blessing that God gave to Daniel would prove extremely valuable to Daniel later on in his life. You could just read the, the rest of the book and see how that became valuable for Daniel. Daniel would be used by God as his vehicle of divine revelations to those who were around him. And so God blessed them physically. He blessed them mentally. He blessed them spiritually. But we also see fourthly here that he blessed them socially. Let's look at verse 18 to 21. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. Let's jump down to verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so Daniel and his friends, they were brought before the king after three years of education, and the king spoke with them. and among all of the possible candidates, they stood out. There was no one like them. There was absolutely no one that came close to them. And therefore, at the end of verse 19, we see, therefore they stood before the king. That is, they entered the king's service. They were promoted to key administrative positions within the kingdom. And then in verse 21, we read that Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, which ended up being in 539 BC. Daniel would outlive the Babylonian exile. God's faithfulness towards his servant would prove sufficient. Now, one thing that we need to realize here with these blessings that God gave to Daniel and his friends is this like the, the blessings that he gave to Daniel and his friends are descriptive. Like this this text in this text here we see it's descriptive. The text describes what God gave, what God did for Daniel and his friends. It isn't prescriptive. The text isn't saying that if you stay faithful, God will bless you in all these specific ways. That's not what it's saying. The blessings that God gave Daniel and his friends were specific to the circumstances that they found themselves in at this moment. But did you, did you notice what God didn't do? He didn't take them out of the trial or the difficult circumstance. He didn't do that. Rather, he was with them and gave them what was needed to not only endure but also to thrive and be a blessing to those around them. Just think about that. I'm going to repeat it. Rather, he was with them and gave them what was needed to not only endure, but also to thrive and to be a blessing to those around them. The blessings that God chooses to give to his people are not one size fits all. God chooses what blessings to give to his people when to give it. And here's a great truth that we need to understand that we need to see from this passage. You'll see it here on the screen. There is always blessing on the other side of obedience. God will always bless obedience. And that blessing, should he choose to, may not necessarily be deliverance, It may not be what we want, when we want. But he will always bless obedience. And we can be confident that God will work all things for his glory and our good. I want to encourage you also with this truth that we see in James 1.12. James says this. You'll see it on the screen. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Loved ones, that's our motivation right there. That's our motivation right there to remain steadfast, to remain resolved under trial, under any pressures. The crown of life, that is eternal life. That is the ultimate blessing that you and I could ever receive which we certainly do not deserve. The presence of the Lord for all eternity in heaven. That's the greatest blessing. And for those of you who are currently in a season of trial and suffering, I want to I encourage you. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that he's turned his back on you. He sees what you're going through. He knows the pain. He knows the grief. He knows the hurt. He's attentive to it all, and he's taking notes. Psalm 56, verse 8, says that he takes your tears and he puts it in a bottle. He's not indifferent to what you are going through, and he is at work even though It may not feel like it. You see, Daniel and his friends weren't abandoned by God. Quite the contrary, God was with them. Daniel and his friends remained faithful to who they truly were as God's chosen people, as set apart. They obeyed God, and as a result, they received God's blessing and they were a shining testimony of God's providence and his grace to those around them. They were pilgrims on a journey, far from home, called to be a faithful witness, called to be faithful witnesses to a foreign people, a foreign king in a foreign land. And these men beautifully personify they beautifully personify one man who would one day leave his home Come to a foreign land to bear witness to the one true God. Loved ones, Jesus is the greater Daniel. I pray that you would see this so clearly right now. Jesus is the greater Daniel. Just, just like Daniel and his friends, Jesus left his home and came to earth as fully God and fully man, willingly embracing a sinful world without defiling himself once. Jesus, too, found favor with God and man. He refused to compromise when he faced opposition. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness to defile himself, yet he remained perfectly faithful. He trusted his father completely and lived a perfect life of obedience for 33 years He gave a faithful witness before Herod and Pilate and was nailed to the cross, paying for the penalty of your sin and mine. But then on the third day, it gets better. He rose to life, defeating sin and death and offers eternal life now. He offers eternal life to all who repent and confess him, who repent of their sins and confess him as Lord and Savior. And if you're here, and you've never repented of your sins and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's two things that I want to say to you this evening. Number one, I am super thankful that you're here. I don't believe that's by accident. I'm super thankful that you're here. But secondly, and I want to be as gentle and as sincere as I can in saying this, this promise of eternal life here, this isn't a blessing that you will inherit, that you will benefit from apart from Christ. The promise of eternal life is only for those who have repented of their sins and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Would would you repent of your ways and turn to him in faith? You see, Jesus not only modeled for us, he not only modeled for us what trusting in the Lord looks like, but he's also given us another helper. He's given us the Holy Spirit who empowers us and equips us to trust in him and to follow him no matter what we may face. And not only that, we have a savior also who can identify with our weaknesses. Why? Because he himself went through it also, as we saw earlier in Hebrews 4.15. And so I want to encourage you today, wherever you are or whatever you are facing, or whatever you may be facing, to press into him, to to run to him, to seek him, to be steadfast and firm in your convictions. He, Jesus is sovereign. He is faithful and he is with you. And he will only work for his glory and your good. And so, loved ones, who are you honoring? Who are you honoring and revering? Is it the Lord? Or is it the things of this world? The values of this world? You see, because God is sovereign and faithful, we must trust in him. It's not a question of whether or not he is sovereign and faithful. He is. He shows that time and time again through his word. And he's shown it to Daniel and his friends. See, a life that trusts in the Lord resolves to follow him no matter the cost. And the result of the one who trusts in him receives his blessing. The greatest blessing that you and I could ever receive is eternal life with him in heaven. Hands down. Right? Life with Jesus for all eternity is the greatest blessing that you and I could ever receive. And this eternal perspective of spending eternity with our savior makes everything that we have faced, everything that we are facing or will face worth it. Why? Because he's worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are sovereign and faithful. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that you have given us. We thank you for not only showing us what faithfulness looks like, but also for empowering us to live faithfully to you. And so, Lord, I pray for your spirit right now. I pray that you would empower us through your spirit, that you would help us, God, to stand firm on your word, that you would help us to remain resolved, to follow you and obey you in the midst of increasing pressure from the world around us to conform. Lord, I pray that we, would, that we would seek to honor you like these men sought to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, will you stand as we respond in worship?